Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And welcome back to Rule the Roost podcast. This is the latest of the summer specials I've been recording, uh, where I'm speaking to a host of different Spurs fans about their involvement in the club in various different capacities. The first of which was Mr. Rich Grove. Um, talks about history, semiotics, his My Heart Lane project. It's great stuff, really interesting. I'm, I'm not being sarcastic for once. Go back and have a listen. Second up was Mr. Thomas Mitchell, talking about his life in music, his life in Spurs, playing alongside Ledley King at the Spurs show, you know, as you do. Again, lovely bloke, great listen, brilliant cover of Can't Smile Without You to see out the episode. And in our latest episode now, I'm about to speak to the co-founder of the proud Lily Whites, Chris Porus, um, about her motivations behind starting up the organisation, about terrace culture, and about LGBT rights in football, and how hopefully football can bring about societal change. Have a listen, it's great. My uncles are all Spurs fans, um, so my family's from Cyprus, so they came here in the 60s. My dad's actually a Manchester United fan, um, because when the Munich air disaster happened, of course you're in a small village in Cyprus, you've heard of Manchester United and nobody else. Um, but my uncles, when my when my mum's brothers came over, I think the first one came over in 1960 or 61, and they lived in North London, and he was like, oh, this team looks like they're doing quite nicely. So he went to, to White Hart Lane, and uh, and the rest, is, as, as I say, is history. So my mum's youngest brother, who spent quite a lot of time with us when, we, when I was growing up, um, he had a season ticket, and his mates all had season tickets. Um, and so there was one time when one of his mates couldn't go. I think I was probably... Seven, six, six or seven, I think. And so he said to me, do you want to go? And I was already kind of well brainwashed, as he put it then. You know, I was kind of steeped in trying to read shoots and watch, yeah. you know, match of the day if I was allowed to stay up or whatever. Um, and so I went and we beat Everton 3-0. It was 1980. So and they were pretty decent back then. Everton? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't remember Everton. I just remember being so excited about going to Spurs and just that that feeling I think when you're six and you love it and I, I still kind of still quite evocative to kind of see the pitch for the first time and all those people because you're never in a situation as a six-year-old where you're with all those people and it's safe somehow um 
and yeah, that was it from then. I, I, after that, I was always really keen um, for one of my uncle's friends not to go um, and sort of went throughout my childhood. And then I went to, I left London to go to university when I was about 18, went to Birmingham. And so I went to the Villa away games. But it's funny, at that time, you'll, I suppose that's when my interest waned the most was around that time. But I was still kind of, you know, sort of interested, but not as much. And then, but I'd always said when I was a kid, um, when I get a job, the first thing I want to buy is a Spurs season ticket. And I did. So when I finished university, I got a job, had a bit of money. I actually went to the ticket office. So this was the mid-90s when you could do this. And said, can I have a season ticket, please? And they said, certainly. Where would you like to sit? And I was like, oh, I don't mind, wherever you want. And so, of course, they put me behind a pole in these stands. Because yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't you if someone says they don't mind? Um, but actually, I sat in that seat now nearly 20 years, and or actually 20, and uh, I'm really fond of it. There's something about not being able to see the 18-yard line that's kind of fun. Less like, imagination. Around yeah, exactly. It's like, who, who's yeah. got the ball? And actually, as with all these things, when you're sitting in a, a football ground, the people around you are really important. Um, and of course, I've got friends that I go with. I did go with my wife. She's sadly no longer with us. That's another story. Um, but, you know, the guys around us, it's like, you know, you get into people's routines and you understand, you know, and, and they're not necessarily people that you'd see or spend time with otherwise, but love that on a on a match day, you know. And we swapped, um, I used to go with my cousin in the late 90s and she was a very big David Junela fan. I mean, I liked David Junilab. We liked him for different reasons. Um, and uh, because we sat in the East Stand and we were in the low, in the, we're at the, sort of the top of the of the Lower East Stand. Um, she had a mate who was in row two. So she agreed with this mate that we would swap for one game um, so she could be closer to, to David. And I was like, oh, all right, whatever. And we went and it was it was weird because the perspective's so different because actually if you sit in I don't know if you've sat that low down in the East Stand yeah 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 for Fiorentina you're almost underneath it yeah. so it's a really weird perspective but the thing that really made me appreciate where I sit despite the fact that I can't see the 18 yard line is there was some bloke behind us he was so negative and just moaned for 90 minutes and actually that gives you real kind of not just earache but it brings you down it, it, it really, really does. And he just didn't, he was relentlessly moaning. And so it made me feel even more sort of, an even greater affinity to where I sit. So I can remember, it's, it's an interesting point you raised, because I remember you know, a couple of years ago in the UEFA Cup Europa League, I should say now, watching us get done over by Dortmund. But the atmosphere was so good and everyone seemed to be so buoyant and just enjoying the game. Yeah. You didn't really mind so much. Um, maybe... It, Maybe that makes me a nice happy fact. <laughs> no, but you see, I don't... The thing is, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the, the Europa League or the UEFA Cup or whatever, because I've got a gold season ticket because I can't be think, worrying about thinking about buying tickets. So I went to all those um, Europa League games, but a lot of the people around me didn't necessarily. They sort of picked and uh, sort of they decided which ones to go to. So there were lots of... Um, sorry to any of you who could only get um, game, <laughs> tickets to UEFA League. Europa League games, loads of part-timers. And I don't know if there's something about the fact that you don't go, I don't know, but there was like a much more negativity, much more moaning and sort of, I don't know, because some, sometimes if you, some of those kind of games where it gets a bit, whatever, around us while everyone's there, you end up with a bit of gallows humour. 
Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. that's kind of quite fun because, you know, that I've seen a lot of, you know, when I got a season ticket, Jerry Francis was the manager. And then Christian Gross. I mean, you know, I've seen a lot. The glory down. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. When uh, I remember being excited when our central midfield partnership was Sean Davis and Pedro Mendes because it was a, it was an improvement on the one from before. Yo, Pedro Mendes, I always, always had a bit of a soft spot for Pedro yeah. Mendes. I always thought he was all right. He was all right, but I mean, imagine that yeah. that was the the pinnacle of yeah, our know, of, of our centre midfield. The greatest goal that never was. Though. That's true. That yeah. is a true story. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you what do you make of the current crop? In terms of your your lifespan as a Spurs fan at the moment, the players. Yeah, well, so that's a that's a really good question. Um, I think that the whole is actually greater than the sum of its parts. So we have got, a, you know, like two or three like top quality players. You know, that like to the likes of which we haven't seen um, in my sort of since I've been going really. Um, I think I, pro- I did see Glenn Hoddle play live, but I can't remember because I was a kid. Um, but certainly in the last 20 years, you know, I'm not sure you might put a few of them into this team, but actually the fact is the team functions really well. So I'm not sure what you would do. Cause I mean, I love, you know, I was a big fan of, of Luka Modric, obviously a very big fan of Gareth Bale. I had a bit of a soft spot for soft spot for Rafa van, van der Vaart, but you know, how much? I mean, they would fit actually. Those three, I could find you a place for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some yeah. I was about to say those aren't good we'll examples. No, but yeah. I know what you mean. You know I what I mean? Exactly you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I think you know we've got a great we've got a great team. Um, I think the the trick now is going to be for Poch to keep them together and for us to. I think would I think more than ever the the money around football and the wages. So we've managed to keep our wage structure under control. But I think that's probably what the other lot down the road have been suffering from these last few years in that he doesn't want to smash up their wage structure too much either. Um, But I think we're going to have to start thinking about what that's going to look like in order to, not just to to keep our our players, but to, to bolster the squad in the, in the way that we need to, Um, you know, I think 50 million quid for Kyle Walker is really good business. Um, I like Kyle Walker a lot, actually. Um, you know, obviously sitting on the side of the pitch, watched him quite a lot. You know, I've got quite a loud voice. There was one time where I shouted, run, Kyle. And I think I saw him like speed up a little bit. I was quite yeah, pleased with yeah, myself. Yeah. <laughs> Pat on the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was one time where I, I chatted Aaron Lennon. I heard myself on Sky later as well. And he ran right the way down and whipped it in and we scored. So I take full credit for that. On another note about Aaron Lennon, it's mm. good to see him back. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's... And I think fair play to him for actually just being really honest about it because I think that stuff's really important. You know, if you look at any kinds of sort of mental health issues over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years, slowly, slowly, we're people are beginning to talk about it. And I think that makes a huge difference because I think that's how people get help and they're less likely to harm themselves or for terrible things to happen. Yeah. So, you know, I wish him well and I hope he has a really good season. So, I mean, we'll, we'll move on to me work with Proud Dilly Oh, yeah. Shall we? Um, sure. Let's, let's start at the best place, which is the beginning. How how, how did it all it's come quite a good st- one of the co-founders. Yeah, that's right. It's quite a good, I quite like this story, actually, because I think it says good things about our club. So, I don't know if you remember in, do I want to say 2013, probably? In September 2013 was the first Paddy Power Rainbow Laces thing. Yeah. And they wanted to sort of uh, 
they called it kind of guerrilla tactics, but really it was just Paddy Power sort of being Paddy Power. And they dumped a load of rainbow laces at all of the Premier League club grounds and basically said to them, if you don't use these, then you're, you know, you're not supporting, um, and you know, you're not sort of being anti, you know, supporting anti-discrimination in football. Now, lots of clubs, understandably, sort of said, well, A, you can't just dump things on us without any consultation. You know, this is, apart from... The fact that from Spurs' point of view, there was a, um, a, a commercial conflict because they've got another betting partner. Um, there was the, you know, the um, creative around that campaign wasn't, you know, wasn't anything that I would have supported yeah. um, because it was quite sort of, it was a bit sort of viz. It was a bit sort of fanar fanar. It was get behind gay footballers with a bit of a, yeah. a cheeky wink yeah, from Paddy yeah, Power. Yeah. So Paddy Power, really. I know, imagine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, if I was, I wasn't involved then, but if I was involved then, I would have said, no, don't go anywhere near this. So there was the this commercial, the creative. And also, like, you've got to kind of tread quite carefully with this stuff because footballers are... Um, quite superstitious about their stuff mm. and their kit. And so, you know, you might have to work quite hard to say yeah. wear different laces or whatever. I mean, now it's a different proposition, of course, because a lot of those boots don't have laces in them. Yeah, yeah. But that's another story. So they did that and Spurs were like, well, look, we can't get involved, but we quite like to do something um, because there's, you know, this is an important sort of um, uh, set of campaigns, etc. So um, what they did was they got in touch with Stonewall and Stonewall said, well, we're not doing anything in football at the moment because they weren't. But if you talk to this organisation called GFSN, they're doing some stuff. Um, so at around the same time, I was kind of just like shouting on Twitter to anyone who would listen. Not many people, as you know, because it's just like shouting into the abyss sometimes. Yeah. Um, sort of saying, well, we need to be doing something like this because the other lot, you know, had the an LGBT fan group. Um, and someone said to me, oh, you should speak to GFSN. So I spoke to GFSN, who were who had started talking to Spurs, and they said, look, we need this to be fan-led, obviously, because we just want to try and enable this a little bit. Um, so just sign up here and... So anyway, basically what happened was, was that um, there were eight of us in the end who ended up in a room at White Hart Lane um, in early 2014, I want to say, probably. Um, and, um, and with Jonathan Waite, who's our uh, support liaison officer and now the head of customer service. And they just sort of said, look, we're happy to help here, but really this is for you because it's a, it's a supporters group. But because we didn't necessarily all know each other, it was really nice to just be facilitated by the club in that way. Um, and again, because they, they knew that, you know, they have, they've got the, the data, if you like, um, they, said we'll have a, like a, a formal launch. Um, so what they did was that they um, uh, put out some communications via the club channels and we were going to have a formal launch in that game against Dnipro. Okay. Um, yeah. So obviously in that game against Dnipro, there were like, you know, plenty of spare seats and all the rest of it. Yeah. So they gave us like a few tickets. I mean, a lot of us already had tickets. So, you know, but it was a way of sort of saying, you know, if you sign up to this, you've got an opportunity. So there's a draw for some tickets. There was a pitch side photograph with Ledley. So it was like an official, an official launch. Um, but that was sort of the, the comms around it in that February of 2014. And then it was just left to us to do what we wanted with it. And we were sort of lucky enough that there happened to sort of just, and it's a very, it was a very organic sort of um, the way it came together. There just happened to be a core of about eight to 10 of us who were up for doing it. And we sort of had this, a similar philosophy about what we wanted out of it. Um, you know, ultimately it was about bringing together LGBT Spurs fans so you could um, 
feel safe to go to there were other people to go to a game to go to a game with you could feel safe going to a game you could watch away games together etc but also the thing that i really cared about was the sort of a campaigning and educational element yeah. because i've thought from the beginning that you know football has a really good opportunity because of the platform that it gives to sort of make social transformation happen yeah. and um and so there's a, there's a kind of a great platform there but equally you've also got um What's a good way of putting it? And this, I mean, I'm not saying that racism is over in football because it's not. Obviously, we know that, but the acceptability of it is is much less, quite rightly, than it was 30 years ago. Gone are the days of bananas, but well, not in Spain, perhaps. But no, in, uh, exactly. In in, in, in in certainly in the Premier, in the in the in the, in the in professional men's football, um, but um, casual homophobia, particularly. You know, certainly in 2014 was, you know, was definitely there. Um, I think I think that a change has happened in this small period of time. I don't think it's all down to LGBT fan groups, but I think it does make a difference. But I think also if you look at the history of the, for want of a better way of putting it, the kind of the gay rights movement, sort of huge amounts of social change have happened in a short period of time. You know, if you'd said to me in the early 90s, you know, when I first came out um, that... You know, there'd be equal marriage and and a lot of the other rights that we, that that kind of are, are no brainers now. I might not have believed you. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because there is that. Although obviously society has progressed, sometimes football, because it's that release, it's that bubble, mm. it's outside of the norm, if you like. Sometimes a lot of attitudes that people may not display in an open society sometimes in within the confines of the grounds and getting involved in chants mm. they probably upon reflection would say it's not really cool to say that well i think it's interesting because i think football ref i think football reflects society and yeah. society does you know so the, the, the it does have a uh, for want of a better way of putting it like it, there is some kind of symbiosis there they feed into one another yeah um and but i think that in a way it's easy, you know. I I walk around in my in my sort of bubble, if you like, mm. where there isn't racism, homophobia. There's you know not as as little sexism as I can sort of muster, you know, etc. Yeah. Um, but of course, out there in the real world, in inverted commas, of which football is one thing, you know, because it's different. You know, you're working in in central London in a job in a court, you know, whatever, mm. where all of that stuff is really part of the day to day. Yeah. But you know. It's not like that throughout the country. So maybe football does a little bit of that. But the world is the world is changing and football's changing with it. But I think what I think is really exciting is to use football as a way of, of helping to make that change. Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago now, I met a guy um, who was a campaigner um, from Uganda. You know, and in Uganda, if you're, you know, at that, that time, I don't know if the law's the same now. I mean, I imagine it probably is. If you were gay, you could be, you could be sentenced to death. Yeah. And actually, he wanted to use... He wasn't necessarily a football fan, but he chose to use football as his, the platform for his campaign because he understood that in his country, that was where he was going to make traction, was via football. And I think when you think of it like that, you've got some, a really good opportunity um, to, to really make that change. Because we're kind of touching on it here. Mm. Do you think the... Have you noticed a change in attitudes and, say, terrorist culture since the formation of 
LGBT <laughs> groups within the stadiums. Because, I mean, the, the point I was trying to touch on a minute ago mm. is it's not to in any way give anyone a, a pass for mm. any sort of reprehensible things they might shout or, mm. you know, anything they say within a stadium. But it was more to the point that, you know, because sometimes it exists in this bubble, people think, oh, I'm just, I'm not the type of guy that's, yeah. I'm not a homophobe, but, but I'm just saying, you know, yeah. yeah these things because it's just it's banter it's part of yeah. football whereas if for example there is a rainbow flag in there does it act as a reminder to people well i think or? you know what do you know what jack i think it does you know i i i think that i think it's it's uh it's it's part of something i don't yeah. think it's the only thing but it's part of something because if you look at you know the rest of our sort of of our culture the difference between 2014 and now things change you know you've yeah. got gareth thomas gareth i can't remember which gareth thomas came out i'm gonna see that it's before that but yeah. you know you have a famous sportsman coming out and like in a big kind of macho geezer yeah, as yeah. well you know and so that makes you think for a second um so you've got and and just you know the general sort of march of progress if you like in terms of in terms of changing societal attitudes and i think when you've got something like our flag and other lgbt you know and and um, there's like a, a banner at the emirates and there's the ele- electronic hoardings at um at the etihad and they do pit, you know they do sort of pitch parades in and uh, other clubs etc i think what you do there is you say in this space um, all fans are welcome, including your LGBT fans. And if you're that person that might have said something, it might make you think. And the fact that the flag is up and the fact that we have had sort of debates and there's been, you know, like, you know, stuff on social media, etc., where we have those conversations. You know, I've seen a mass, a big shift from when we first started where people were, like, going wild at the thought of it. Now, mostly people are like, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, obviously there is still, you know, social media. I mean, that's a whole other yeah. thing, social media. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, that's kind of a weird sort of microcosm in and of itself that I'm not sure is reflective, as you can say, it's much reflective of, of what will go on in, in, in sort of in your wider culture. But, um, you know, I do think there has been some change. And I think that I don't think we can, the LGBT fan groups can claim to have... Um, I can't. We can't lay claim to that change, yeah. but we can lay claim to being part of it. Because I do think, you know, that flag up in White Hart Lane. If you are somebody who isn't doesn't want to be an active homophobe, and it, it might make you think for a second. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you feel that the idea that football needs to be ready for the first sort of male at least openly gay professional is correct or do you, do you think it's more just it ha- just has to happen what do you mean by ready a lot of people will often say that you know 
uh, a top flight player hasn't come out yet publicly because football just isn't ready for that yet. That perhaps you know terraces aren't in a position. Yeah, to I think this or no. I don't think I to deal with it. No. Well, I think the I think if you look the Premier League football clubs are proper businesses. They're proper, you know, gone are the days where it's some kind of local philanthropist who's kind of creating jobs in his local area you know these are proper these are proper businesses with proper hr policies and you know ways of doing things now that's change that's changing even again in the last four or five years i mean you know being inside of this a little bit now you've hit you know you hear some stories about you know it wasn't long ago when this club didn't even didn't have like an hr person for example even though they've they employ forget the playing side they employ hundreds of people etc but i think you know that's changed um so I don't think the clubs are a problem. I think the fans. I think let's not do the fans a disservice. You know, like with anything, you, you know, you might get there might be a little bit of you know there's going to be a bit of something, but not. Let let me give you an example. When we um, when we went to uh, Christmas, the season before last, I think it was Spurs did like a Q and A for some fans, um, and it was Daniel Levy, Poch, and Hugo. And there were like 100 fans in a room at Lily White House and people got to ask questions, right? I was lucky enough to be drawn out of the hat for that. And so I asked, um, you know, whether they were ready. I said, oh, you know, are you ready if there's a, you know, if, if one of the players was, was to come out? Um, Poch looks over at Jesus like, I don't know what she's saying, because it was a couple of years ago, so maybe his English wasn't as good. Yeah, yeah. So Jesus mouthed something to him and he just kind of, I'm shrugging, he just went, it's fine, you know, it's our player, it's our player. You know, then Daniel picked up the mantle and sort of said, you know, and sort of said, you know, we, we, you know, we're proud of being a diverse club and we know we want to be inclusive and, you know, said all those right things. Yeah. You can see that he believed it and it's not just like paying lip service to that. Um, but, you know, someone pipes up behind me and says, well, you know, if someone did come out, then obviously we'd want to go for it for the, if it was an opposition player because you want to take, take as much advantage as you can, right? But a number of people interesting that this didn't say anything in the room but came up to me afterwards and said we're not all like that yeah. you see so i think that's probably what's going to, from a fan perspective that's probably what's going to happen is at the beginning you're going to get a few people that are giving it a bit yeah. and then that will be drowned out so we have to unfortunately i think we'll have to go through a little bit of pain before we make that change but i think i think what it's going to take is somebody you know if a, if a, if a, a, a professional male player does want to come out um you know, I think it will be really good for the game because I think it will it will become normalised and we won't be talking about it anymore. Um, but but someone needs to make that leap. I think the difficulty is it was really interesting actually. We had a um, Pride in Football ran an event in um, in Manchester a couple of weeks ago, um, which was like you know bringing together um, LGBT fans from all over the country. And Paul Elliott, who's now the um, chair of the FA's Inclusion Advisory Board, um, came and spoke. And you know. He, you know, told some stories about what it was like being a 16-year-old in a dressing room um, and being one of the only black players there and, you know, what hit the stick that his teammates gave him. Now, I'm not suggesting that your teammates would, would give, give um, players stick, but it was about how it affected his yeah. game. And, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, he thought there was one game where he got loads of abuse and actually it turned it around and played a game of his life but he talked about that one game i don't know how many games where you don't you know so it's interesting because 
you know, if, if Stone will do, have got a piece of research that says that if you're your authentic self at work, so their, their language, not mine, about authenticity, then you perform much better. So you wonder how many young men we, you know, we're missing out on in our professional game because they're not able to bring their authentic selves to the football pitch and and therefore to fulfil their potential. Yeah. You know, or or that you know you've got players who are gay that aren't that aren't them their authentic selves, so don't play as well as they could, or you know, end up with you know you can see you can see how many pressures you know that was. I don't know if you saw that piece about Stephen Corker in The Guardian and his sort of gambling and, and drinking. And that was, you know, it kind of, it made me so sad to my bones. That poor guy was a great player. You know, you could see he was a great yeah. player. Um, but, you know, he's got this, these addiction issues and we're not able, he wasn't able to articulate what they were at the time. And he never really fulfilled his potential. So I suppose I'm saying it in that same way as I think, you know, well, that's one of the things that I feel strongly about from the Proud Lily Whites is I, we want to be part of creating the conditions that make it possible for uh, a professional male footballer to come out. You know, and if that flag that was up at White Hart Lane, I don't know what we're going to do at Wembley, but that's another that's another thing. And if that flag can can help to be part of that, then I'm really happy because I think you come out, whether you're a, a fan, a steward, you work in the catering department, you're taking the bets in the boxes, um, or a player, and you're in that stadium and you see that flag, it automatically says that you're welcome there. Do you know what it's like for the women's game at all? Is- I mean, are there, are well, in the openly yeah. homosexual players? Yeah, there, there's. I mean, well, Casey Stoney, who was the captain of the England women's team, yeah. um, she came out a few years ago. Um, she's got twins now with her partner, who was also a player, but the partner had the kids, so she, I think her partner retired. She's just gone out to, is it Holland, that the Euros started yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's out in Holland at the moment. Um, and there are a number of, of out players. I think it is, it's it's not an issue in women's football. Yeah. I think that's quite interesting. I think, you know, the Women's World Cup was like two years ago, and there were, you know, there were there were many out players, and it wasn't, you know, no one really talks about it because it's not, it's not really a thing. I'm wondering if I, I'm just... Interested to know if it's anything around that. If it's because it's been because it's so in the spotlight now that it's so built up for the men's game yeah. that people are almost like you know there's like a timer, isn't it, waiting for somebody to to come out. Well, it's interesting though because I think it's like who is that going to be? You know, and not not like I'm not speculating on who it is. It's just you know who wants to be that first person yeah. because there will be so much of a. And and also when you're playing, I, I'm not surprised that, that like Thomas Hitzelsberger, for example, yeah. came out after his career because of course when you're playing, you don't want that. You want your football to do the talking, not anything else. Um, so I guess the thing would be if there's a, I think what we're more like, we, we may we, we, what we may be more likely to see first, excuse me, is a young man who is openly gay coming through the ranks of a team. Yeah. I think that might be more of a. That might be more more likely, to be honest. Um, but it's interesting because the very first um, event we ever ran as Proud Lily Whites was like a panel discussion. It was November 2014, so we launched in February. But by the time we got ourselves together, really, our, um, we started our work in September 2014 at the beginning of that season. And so we ran this event in November, and it was a little. It was a panel discussion. Our patron is um, Helen Richardson Walsh, who's the um, Olympic gold. Hockey 
player. Her and her wife both were both in the team. And I always like to say that Helen was our patron when she was a bronze medal winner before uh, before Olympic before gold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, to be fair, bronze yeah, bronze is, still is pretty, pretty good. Yeah, but now they're, like, yeah. they're now they're sort yeah, of you know yeah, now I have yeah. to now I have to talk to her agent if I want to want you know I know her now but you know. Um, so Helen was on the panel as a woman called Joe Tung who was um, who founded um, Women in Football. Um, Troy Townsend, who's Andros's dad, but also the education manager at Kick It Out. And someone else, and I can't remember who it was, and sorry if you're listening and you were that other person, I can't remember you, my apologies. Um, and someone asked about um, a, a male footballer, a professional male footballer coming out, and Troy said he didn't think it would happen in his lifetime. You know, he works, you know, delivering edu- anti-discrimination education sessions to, um, to young professionals, and, you know, and he just said, not in my lifetime. And he said that with sadness, because Troy's a real um, sort of ally and supporter of the Proud Lily Whites and of the work that we're doing, etc. Um, as I'll kick it out, of course. Um, but it's interesting, because if you talk to Troy now, he's revised his view a little bit, because he's seen what a change these last few years have made. And not necessarily just about, you know, as I said, LGBT fan groups are part of that. And I don't think he'd say it quite so... Equ- equivocally now I think you know I haven't had that direct conversation with him but you know in passing he sort of said oh I said that once I'm not sure I I'm not sure I'd stand by it so much now so I think that's interesting as well to see that we are you know this this it's slower than I'd hope I want to put, you know, I'd like the Pradley Whites, I want to put the Pradley Whites out of business, you know. I don't really want, you know, I don't want to be, I'd love to be in a situation where we didn't have to exist. Um, But I do think that, you know, that the change is happening. What next for football? I mean, are there there any potential milestones you perhaps jotted out for Prodden football? Oh, well, I think, as I say, for Pradley Whites, we, you know, we have a... um, an annual strategy, but ours is about, you know, sort of further fan engagement for, um, you know, more campaigning, more education stuff. You know, we did some work, for example, um, before a game um, with the senior stewards. Um, and it was it was a really good, it was like a half an hour session with a bunch of guys who are basically ex-bouncers. So the club weren't really sure, you know, what they were, what we were going to do, you know. And it was before a game and, you know, and, and Simon and I sat and we talked, you know, we were planning this session and I was like, look, you know, these guys are the experts. Well, I've, I don't steward football matches. They go into that fray every week. So we're not going to, we're not going to teach them how to do that. However, it's about what is it that they're looking for in the same way as, as everything else? Because I think a lot of it is like they wouldn't necessarily know that. But I also thought, in that session, I also thought, who wants to go in there and be feel like they're being lectured to by anybody? So I said, right, the thing that we've got to do, so in the, it was only a half an hour session, then the first 30 seconds we said as many homophobic things as we could. Just said it all. And we were just like, you know, just because we, we turned it into a game, we called yeah. it homophobic or not, and just said loads of homophobic things and they had to say yes or no whether it was homophobic. It all was. But it also meant that it wasn't a, you know, what what may be construed, that I don't really like this phrase, but it wasn't like a PC zone where you had to watch your mouth. Because it's like in those sessions, because you're trying to, you know, you're having a, a, an open dialogue to sort of say, you know, to talk about language, what you don't want to do is is police the language before you've even started. Yeah, yeah. You want people to kind of be open about it, you know. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't want... Exactly, and, yeah. exactly. And, you know, we, so that's why the education to me is really important because I think you touched on it earlier when you said, you know, there are some people that might go, well, they don't really know what's homophobic and what isn't, you know, like the, um, you know, this 
the Chelsea Rent Boys song for me is a home is homophobic chanting, and I know many many people will disagree with me, um, but I think they're wrong um, because I think you know if you were talking about Chelsea being sellouts, then you'd sing Chelsea's sellouts. The reason why you say Rent Boys is because you want it to be a homophobic slur. I had the most abuse I've ever had on Twitter for calling that out once. I literally had 36 hours of people shouting obscenities at me personally and, you know, threatening to do all sorts of terrible things to me. Um, but also, the other thing that was more heartening was that there were plenty of people who were who got involved in the debate and mm. got involved and said, no, actually, it wasn't just me. And there were also many people who were like, oh, God, I didn't even think of that. I just thought it was what we sang at Chelsea. It's exactly what you said. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's why I'm happy to put myself out there to have to, to say that. Um, but it's interesting because when we got to the um, the semi-final at Wembley, one of the guys that sits behind us, um, he just said, oh, I'll try and have a nice time. And I knew he was saying it for me, actually. Try and have a nice time today. If they sing it, just try and ignore it. And I understood his sentiment because he was just like, who wants to go and be miserable at the football because you're worrying about you know, a chant or whatever, but, you know, would you, would, would we think it was okay to say that about a racist or an anti-Semitic chant? Would you go, do you know what, try, just try and ignore it and have a nice time? It's, you know, and that, those are the things, it's just that little, that little flick, that little switch needs to flick as well, in my mind. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens when, um, Brighton come up and I'm not talking just about our fans because I think actually we're all right. We played Brighton in the Carling Cup yeah. a few years back and we were a bit worried about it. We issued a statement through our channels, which, you know, lots of other people picked up. I think you might have done as well. Um, and it wasn't about like saying, oh, don't, you know, it's like, remember that we've got LGBT fans as well. So, you know, we wanted this to be a welcoming environment for everybody. Um, and by all accounts in the, um, in the park lane, someone did try and start something, and some other and and our own people just said, "I'll oh, wind your neck in, mate," yeah. and it just stopped. That's perfect. That's it. I mean, I'm not interested in I'm not interested in criminalising anybody. I'm not interested in getting people kicked. You know, it's just like, and it's not about policing people's language either. I'm not interested in that. But it's about saying, think about what it is that you're saying, and the fact that we want this to be a place that anybody can come to, regardless of. Any of you know, I suppose we talk about the protective characteristics from the Equality Act. For one, you know, it's not a very sexy way of putting it, but you know, you want people to be able to come here regardless of their age, their gender, their sexual, their sexuality, their you know, their race, their ethnicity, their religious state, you know, etc., etc. And that's you know, that shouldn't just be for football. That should be for everything. I think the problem is. And I, you know, I've continued to say this, and I, I haven't. So I don't know how to solve this. I think it's a perennial problem in football. Is you know, there's, the Kick It Out app is very good. You know, you can report stuff, um, and it's good in the app because you can do it anon anonymous, anonymously in an app. But then doesn't necessarily stop what's going on in front of you. So if you but if you report something to a steward, you're going to miss a game. <sighs> I mean, even me. Even me, where I think this stuff is important, I don't want to miss a game because some Muppet's singing something stupid. I just tend to shut up myself, mostly. Um, I guess there's also that. I guess people probably still have the fear as well doing it in person that someone's maybe going to see them being a grass or, you yeah. know, that kind of... Yeah, well, exactly. And, I mean, I suppose the thing for me is, again, it's particularly at White Hart Lane, it doesn't happen very often 
where I am around there. But again, it was just, you know, the occasional thing of a rent, but I'll just tell them to shut up. And so most... I, I did grass in the quotation marks <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did do yeah. grass and potato parts. He did. Um, but, you know, but again, because of people around me, you know, I feel perfectly safe and comfortable. You know, it's like coming into my house. Like, why, for what art lane? I've sat in that same seat for 20 years. It feels like my house. You don't come into my house and shout homophobic things. Um, so I feel the same way about what art lane. I'm going to tell you to wind your neck in. I guess in closing, um, yes. we've pretty much touched on all of this already, but I guess just... For anyone that's maybe listened to this, listened to sort of the discussion we've had, mm -hmm. who still kind of has that sort of feeling of, you know, we're all Spurs, we're all united under the same flag. Absolutely we are. But why do they feel that they have to have something different? Why, what, you know, why still do they have to have sure. this? You know, I guess the whole kind of, you know, why does everyone need to let you know that they're gay? Or why do why do they need to be represented in this? Sure. Way? Well, I think look, I, I, I mentioned it earlier. We one of our things we want to put ourselves out of business. We don't want to have to have a LGBT supporters association. But whilst um, homophobia exists, whilst homophobia in football exists. Um, we need to exist and we need to exist because we want to make sure that LGBT football uh, Spurs fans um, know that it's safe to come to Spurs. And it might be, you know, as I say, a number of our members, you know, particularly gay men, haven't come to Spurs before um, they saw that flag go up in White Hart Lane for many years since they were since they were kids or teenagers because they just thought football wasn't for them. Suddenly, football's for them again, which is wonderful because we all know how much we, you know, think about the joy that you feel when the ball hits the back of the net. Why would you want anybody else not to have that same experience? Think about the hairs that go up on the back of your neck when you, you when you hear a, a particular song or the, that player that you've been watching on the telly for ages is suddenly out in front of you. You know, I don't want anybody else not to experience that, and we we, we enable that. Um, and also. You know, it's what we talked about before. It's like, let's create the conditions where you can have um, a, a professional male footballer coming out. And, you know, I'm not going to apologise um, for that because I do think that, uh, you know, football can do great social good. Think about all of that money in the game, right? You know, there's a lot of money in it and we get and, and football gets pelters for all sorts of things. But it also does great things. You know, the Tottenham Hotspur Foundation does wonderful things in the community with local schools and, you know, all sorts of kind of great sort of education initiatives that they do. And the football doesn't get enough credit for that. And in the same way, if we can use football for campaigning stuff to make social change, like in 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 you know in the LGBT rights movement, then you know I'm why not? And that's why I think that's important. And yes, we are all Spurs, um, but that's exactly it. We are all Spurs. So know that some Spurs fans are LGBT. So think about that the next time you're gonna say something that's potentially homophobic. And for anyone who wants to get involved. Um, anything you're doing with Proud Lily Whites or Pride in Football, where's the best place to go? Okay, well, Proud Lily Whites, we've got a website, which is proudlilywhites.uk, but we're also on Twitter, which is at Spurs LGBT, and Pride in Football has got a, uh, the Twitter is at Pride in Football, and prideinfootball.co.uk, I think. Um, but yeah, basically, it's, um, the website or um, Twitter is the best place to reach us. On the website, there's a little link that says join, and you just fill out like a couple of things on there, and you can join us, and then that means that you get our um, emails when they're 
are some really some interesting things that we do that are specifically for members that we don't always uh, trail on on Twitter because we want there to be some benefit to being a member of the Proud Lily White. So get involved. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.